0: Javed, welcome to Georgia. There's probably no need for an introduction. Uh, If someone's clicked on this link, I'm guessing they probably know who you are already. Uh, We've known each other for a number of years now, uh, and I'm guessing we made first contact, well, I know we made first contact uh, on social media. So there's an example of how social media can transcend borders and even continents. How important is social media to you?
1: Um, I've until until I left uh, Azerbaijan, I've I, I didn't actually have so much social media presence, uh, and even I learned the existence of Facebook from my uh, school teachers, and back when I when I went to Turkey to study uh, at a university, Big Kent University, I've met uh, many foreigner abroad friends the Erasmus students came from abroad and they gave me their social media addresses and I was like why don't have a social media account and it would it would make it much easier to connect them to get some at least class notes maybe like exam notes so that's how I got to social media and I had uh, social media also helped me to enhance and develop my ideological viewpoint of the world and i don't know i usually publish what i was thinking about my ideological political views from like 11 or 12 years ago and i usually do it on twitter but back then uh, Facebook was much more, uh, and still is much more important in Azerbaijani society. So I use social media to develop myself, learn new things. And I guess this is also how we find ourselves. And I, don't, I, I do not uh, really uh, exactly remember on what occasion, but uh, it must have been uh, so long ago that we don't even remember it.
0: Or well, we choose not to remember it, mean <laughs> Um, actually, you talk, spoke about how you were using social media for your ideological development. And it, sort of, it reminds me that you've actually posted old Facebook status updates and um, you've changed a lot since. So you, you effectively have a record of how you've developed as well. Um, do you think social media was part of the reason why you, you changed some of those views and, and perspectives?
1: Yes, I guess so. Uh, I mean, I even posted uh, Facebook status on the twitter that uh, 12 years ago i wrote something like uh, i will never ever meet and befriend an armenian i was like <laughs> it was the uh, it was 12 years ago and see like here we are and uh, i guess that by using social media i went on a search to find like-minded people and Instead of finding like-minded people, I found every type of different people and I learned that world is not so homogenic and there are every type of people with different unique ideas and this is how I got to broaden my uh, ideology as well because I'm a homophobic, uh, racist guy and by meeting other people learning that hey this guy is not so bad actually and or this girl is a lesbian but uh, she has some pretty solid and uh, remarkable ideas so maybe I shouldn't look at the way things I used used to look and by using the internet I've learned I've read many uh, books ideological or different from different perspective or art books uh, just or fictional books in English, because in Azerbaijan we did not have access to such books. I mean, uh, in the sense of there was a very little translated uh, stuff. It's mostly the word classics and in that sense, social media and Internet really helped me to advance myself, um, I guess. I guess everyone is capable of this and uh, I do not uh, support this idea that social media can only be used for bad stuff, for, to antagonize people, to provoke or uh, spread anything evil actually. Uh, we can use social media to our advance and by the examples I mentioned, uh, we can grow our audience and reach like-minded people form a virtual community.
0: Um, probably around 2008 I made contact with some Azerbaijani bloggers and used Facebook uh, in order to maintain connection with them and I too saw the uh, possibilities for the internet, the world wide web, social media to bring people together and it did kind of Um, made lots of connections very valuable for my work as well as from a personal perspective but also uh, around about 2010 and 2011 there was concerns raised about how the internet could be used for bad. You know, there was a lot of talk about net freedom and democratization, and then people like Evgeny Morozo would basically warn that it's a tool, and that if activists can use it, then so too can governments, so too can extremist groups. And we've seen that with ISIS, Al-Qaeda, far-right groups, etc. And um, we saw it especially during last year's war um, between Armenia and Azerbaijan uh, over Nagorno Karabakh. Um, hasn't your perspective changed considering how toxic the environment could be at particular times last year and since?
1: Um, absolutely. I mean, do you, bef- uh, before the war, uh, I mean, I have for, foreseen the war back when it was like September 9. I wrote a journal sprint that... Uh, expect the war coming soon but I did not expect coming war that soon on the same moss and uh, after the after it started I I decided to do something because uh, on the um, previous uh, four-day war uh, July clashes, we have seen lots of information war and especially the uh, disinformation campaigns, misinformation campaigns, on uh, which did not both anything good and did not, there was no anything good came out of it. So I decided to just to uh, be an observer and then translate what has been t- told on, uh, through the official channels or at least unofficial channels that is tied to people who are inside and uh, I usually cut the pieces of the propaganda part let's say you are writing the news and you say that our glorious army captured the town of uh, blah 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 and I usually cut the glorious part in order to give the pure raw information but on the other hand while i uh, scanned the social media uh, there are lots of notification i I, my followership growth uh, very exponentially and i saw very harmful and provocative comments Uh, there were uh, deliberate misinformation about like bombarding alleged bombarding of ganja airport which was clearly a fake and uh, there were also another fake is that uh, even the year one was attacked and then uh, we started uh, I, I, I started to uh, quote people or officials and Uh, Sometimes Ilham Aliyev would make uh, an appearance and there was no obviously like a direct translation to English so it was aimed at Azerbaijanis but I felt that the world should also know what he's been telling to to the people right now and I've seen some pretty idiotic stuff and it's not even a propaganda because it does not really help any sides in actuality it's just a, it was just a lie but i did not want it to happen i thought that everyone has the right to know what's going on this even if we are if we have lost uh, some villages or cities it should have been known to Azerbaijanis and so the while the war continued on uh, more and more people got onto Twitter in order to see the, what's happening uh, minute minute by minute, and th- this was helped by uh, this was most accumulated by Ilham Aliyev's constant tweeting. He, he usually does not uh, not much tweet, and he has these guys posting excerpts from his speeches. But these news came from direct Our army captured such 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 towns, liberated. And stuff like that. Uh, so starting from October two thousand and twenty, uh, lots of toxicity was around, and it was uh, almost frustrating for me. I even took a one day off, like one day off from work. It is. I know it sounds funny, and but I had to do it because there were there were lots of pressure coming on me, like and people were accusing each other, insulting each other. It was like some of the voices, like pro peace voices, uh, were have to be uh, were silenced, and even I had to limit myself to only information because I did not need that kind of toxicity at the time. It was. I, I barely uh, slept like only for four hours and stuff. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but there are some methods, methods to find uh, some stability, some peace in all this madness. Uh, and it lies on the some tools where we can find some common ground or at least be respectful to each other. Okay, you are like fully pro Armenian, and I am for fully Azerbaijani, but at least let's exchange something. Yeah, I guess these were my ideas regarding the how to combat the toxicity of social media. And there are some people trying to do it to, uh, to achieve it, like the Bright Garden Project, uh, Arnold Allahverdians, and there are also some uh, smaller but uh, comparable projects as well. Uh, for example, I, it was uh, ironic. Uh, maybe it was ironic for me that uh, before the war I did not know any like many, many pro peace as uh, Ar- 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 Armenians, but during the war there were like some people just uh, used this opportunity to connect to me, uh, to speak to me. They said that hey, I know uh, you might not want to follow me back but i want to contact with you talk with you like discuss issues uh, there were like some armenians even asked me how's your psychological mental uh, progress is going is there anything we can help with it and stuff like that uh, it was very touching for me and uh, the irony was that it, there was a war going on and it did not happen during the peace period like a relative peace period or truth period it was going in the middle of the war yeah that's pretty much it Um, i think we we could by like these people um, by organizing themselves could combat such toxicity and uh, try to create at least a kind of safe space on virtual media because yeah, yeah, that's it, social media. Uh,
0: so actually, in 2016, after the April war, we co-penned a piece for Maidan TV. And in a kind of way, we warned that social media hadn't adequately been considered by people who were working in peacebuilding. And I think the toxicity also took by surprise them. But one thing that's also very evident, I mean, there are some um, uh, good examples of this. For example, Rickel Moyan and um, Yeager South Kid and Design, who are using things like TikTok uh, and Instagram as well. And this, again, seems an alien environment for peacebuilding organizations. And still, we're not seeing any use of social media by the peacebuilding organizations to try to facilitate or to encourage or to support these safe spaces or to protect themselves. I mean, to what extent do you think that social media has to be taken seriously now in um, future and current peace building projects um of course i guess that we are late like very late
1: and uh, the power of social media is very undermined these days and people just assume that hey um, you live in america i live in baku so we can't really do anything but as you have mentioned these the videos, the creative uh, creative activities, uh, the montages or memes or something, these uh, actually have some weight and it can change the people's minds and uh, influence them. So that's that's how people uh, became like propagandists and states and governments are actively, uh, learning these methods and uh, not only in the context of war but on the grand se- scheme of these uh, themes, like uh, Chinese propaganda of how everything is super sweet, heavenly in Xinjiang. And uh, I guess uh, government, governments and states learned these methods uh, before us, the peace builder builders or wannabe peace builders. Uh, at least we have to try to learn and actively uh, use our powers to reach out to friends and by these uh, connections by networkings uh, we can grow our audience and even maybe counter them uh, that's that's one of my problems in social media uh, i have a strict and um, strict ideology i i know what i'm talking about i try to uh, Of course, make a propaganda of it, because uh, I feel that I'll be much more safer if there are many people uh, likewise thinking about me. I'm trying to spread my ideas. Uh, If propaganda is a bad word bad word for the listeners, I'm trying to spread my ideas. And government also and states, some state players, some uh, political party players with their uh, distinct uh, view, Like, it could be like Popular Front or daesh nak um, What I mean is that they do not have to be pro-government at all. All, They all use these methods and uh, always come up with new ones. But we are uh, pretty much staying behind. And we uh, we become reactionaries. What I mean by reactionary is someone makes an action. And we only respond to these actions. We do not make actions ourselves. Uh, I I think this is one of the key points.
0: So, um, yeah, and this is one thing that when people try to counter extremist narratives or materials online, they again respond. Like you said, they don't lead the conversation. They just follow the conversation. And in a sense, they're amplifying the original narrative itself rather than leading with a new one. So, um, you know, outside of this podcast, we had a personal chat yesterday as well. And one thing we were talking about is one of the other problems of social media is that it seems to thrive on hatred and anger rather than these peaceful messages. Um, So don't you think sometimes it's impossible for us to do anything positive?
1: Uh, I think uh, by hatred, you mean the emotions. And uh, of course, like uh, it's very hard to, especially during the aftermath of the war uh, when there are people who are like expelled from their houses or had to leave their houses in order to escape to safety. And there are there are people who are actually in this case uh, have a high chance of returning to their houses. Uh, where they lived for uh, all their life and I think these all brews emotions uh, and uh, it, is, it becomes very easy to manipulate such people like uh, like someone just broke up with his girlfriend or any girl just broke up with a boyfriend or anything they are easy to manipulate, and this is how the policymakers, the gobbles of our social medias, uh, manipulate people. And they can twist words. And uh, but um, on our, on on our side of the social media, we don't have this uh, leverage, uh, because we try to be we try to understand every type of emotion. And we try to keep the sanity or uh, logic uh, on our side. That's our biggest weapon and therefore we cannot use emotions. Uh, We can only use some rare moments like uh, cohabitation in uh, Iran or Georgia or Russia meeting some some Armenian dude and Azerbaijani girl dancing in a few years ago something like that we only have one of those and frankly they are uh, they are rather limited so in we have to create these moments so uh, we also like personally chatted about how Azerbaijanis and Armenians are after the war, are meeting up and having some discussions like in US or Russia or other countries and uh, I think we have to, we are, our time has not come to create create these times and spread, spread the news about it, hey, so, so we just met in this uh, LA pub today and we had exchanged exchange some ideas uh, shared, uh, shared our let's say childhood photos. this guy was in Baku and this guy was in Armenia back in the 80s something and shared their uh, stories and by that way they will find that they are actually uh, more than closer to each other, their situation. because we don't have a connection right now. We have to accelerate things. Uh, either governments should, be, should have a big role in, on it, if, does not, if the governments do not have this role, we have to make it possible. Because at the end of the day, we will have to live with, with each other just, just like we have lived for centuries. And for that to happen, uh, even smaller step helps. Just like talking like, hey man, what's up? Hey, I'm good. And end of the conversation, uh, like without insulting, that's a good start for me. And I know it sounds very desperate, but uh, the, I think in order to find, in order to combat these emotion abusers, uh, we have to create our own moments.
0: I want to talk to you about the offline um, Uh, And just uh, in a bit, but just as an example, my first online contacts with Azerbaijanis actually came about from meeting them first offline. As I told you, I traveled to Tbilisi purposely to meet Azerbaijani bloggers. And another problem that we've had, especially last year, uh, was more people were staying online because of the pandemic, uh, not being able to go out or do things. And so that made them more exposed to online hatred or or this toxic war. Uh, They were spending far too much time and people would exploit it because they know where these people are, how to reach them uh, with their their narratives. So the offline world is obviously very important and you were saying you had some ideas what you would like to see happen in the future.
1: The good thing that you touched is offline uh, meetings. I will will start, I will uh, first refer to the July clashes. And of, uh, after the July clashes, uh, we have seen an unprecedented uh, amount of fights, intercommunal fights between Azerbaijanis and Armenians in ab- uh, abroad, in Russia, Fran- uh, Europe, U.S. And at first, uh, when I saw these protests in L.A. by Azerbaijanis, I did not really care about it. I think that it's just one of those uh, regular things, the regular meetings organized by consulate of Azerbaijan and uh, it was a government project and I saw that it started there were like some clashes and it started to spread to all over the world like in London uh, in Moscow just uh, simple working Armenians and Azerbaijani students uh, they just found each other tried to beat their beat the communities and there were like some journalists uh, injured too and uh, this was very threatening stuff and uh, we we like uh, about like four uh, uh, for two Azerbaijanis and two Armenians and then uh, the and others included we started a campaign like uh, words not swords so we should try to refrain from uh, violence and let the government do their job. Let them uh, let them do something about this problem instead of fighting, but speaking. So then after the then after the war, there were some uh, dangers that these uh, intercommunal violences uh, could spark again in order to combat any such future problems. I think that we have to start now, or very soon, the, to normalize seek, seeing each other in uh, daily life. Uh, I had some ideas about it. The one and most important is to be done by states, to governments uh, with a strong political will. Uh, there could, uh, and For that, we could use heritage. And uh, because heritage is like an anchor where you, uh, where you can find your way to past or ancestry or something, at least feel the presence of something uh, belonging to you. And I think that there could be some uh, excursions uh, organized by relative governments, via, it could be via intermediary ones, and uh, a group of uh, Azerbaijanis and Armenians who, were, who are to be selected to be ready to see this uh, heritage or, or and like whatever left of it and to try to reconnect these uh, lands while, where they lived. I specifically mean IDPs and um, not, okay, not IDPs, but refugees, like Armenians from Azerbaijan, uh, Azerbaijan's niece from Armenia to go and see these mosque in Yerevan or church in Baku, see their old, villi- old villages, uh, old cemeteries, because in most of these cases, neighbors uh, keep their neighbors' uh, gravestones safe. I mean, uh, for example, there is a guy, the Avra, the Wanderer, nickname. He, uh, he just uh, walks around in Armenia and documents every type of heritage without making a distinction between Muslim and Christian ones, Azeri and Armenian ones, Persian ones. He just documents everything. And uh, when I posted one of those photos uh, on my page, Uh, one woman just reached me out and she was crying, Uh, she was in tears and thanking me a lot that uh, giving her a chance to see her father's grave once more after like 35 years or something. Uh, I was happy that it was eventually the Avara but I was uh, happy that uh, I could make at least one person smile. And I think that we could do governments uh, can do a lot more on this uh, subject, help people to uh, see their old neighbors maybe, and make at least tours like guided tours to the old uh, inha- villages where they lived together before, or maybe just organize tours to see some people, uh, some random people some villagers because back in the back in uh, what you have discussed uh, during the uh, after the four day war back in the old peace building efforts they just chose uh, like liberals self-declared liberal students from universities and expect them to just talk to each other be peaceful stuff but we saw that most of these just self-declared liberals and peaceniks became har- warmongers during the war. Uh, this this, uh, strat- this strategy was wrong and uh, now we need at this more we, uh, there could be another option. Uh, it's just just popped out, popped into my mind. Uh, there could be another options, another ways of thinking and revitalizing all these uh, processes and accelerating these talks because we are running out of time.
0: So that's what I wanted to uh, say or ask you. You make a very important point when you mention governments. So this presupposes that there will be this time the political will from both governments to actually find a peace deal. But do you think now there is the p- possibility that this time round the mistakes of the past can be learned and that this time both sides can work together towards peace? What's your sense? What's your feeling?
1: Um... Uh... I feel, I think that we have to study uh, older uh, attempts of uh, normalization, uh, as you have said before. Normalization does not mean reconciliation, and uh, it just means that we have a lot of steps ahead. And in order to start walking that road, we have to study uh, our shortcomings, what we have done r- wrong, and while the after this studied, we could make uh, some new proper uh, ways to do it we could develop these uh, ways and uh, we could uh, come up new uh, s- techniques but the way i see it uh, if if there is not going to be any government uh, pressure on this uh, there's a huge possibility that governments will pick their own uh, men on women or anyone to these positions and will try to, could try to impose its own view. And this will be just resulted in, resulting in nothing. In former peace building efforts, they mostly used some young students with liberal worldview, but they were mostly the unaffected ones too. So we have to change our perception and political will should have a role in this. In order to have this political will, there should be grassroots organizations pressing the government asking for it.
0: What you said about the former participants, like universities, students, journalists, and these were mainly always from the capitals as well, and also mainly English-speaking. So one of the things, and I'd like to hear your opinion on it, is when we do look at the social media activity, most of it is in English. I mean, there is Russian on Telegram, and I'm sure there are distinct Armenian language and distinct Azerbaijani uh, language bubbles. But to what extent is language going to be important? To what extent should things be done in English? To what extent should things be done in Russian? I mean, I've heard that the level of Russian understanding in Azerbaijan is much lower than it is in Armenia, for example. Um, what, how can we overcome the linguistic barriers? Uh, yes, uh, day by day, Russian
1: speakers, uh, young generation, are dwindling in Azerbaijan and uh, in Armenia it is uh, almost like a second language of the country. Uh, in this uh, context, uh, we could uh, involve a third community which were not, uh, which were, uh, which were not considered before. Um, to end, I just
0: want to give the last word uh, to you.
1: Thank you for listening and try to be polite on your social media interactions. That's uh, I think that will help us greatly help us to go forward and not to harass anyone if he's if he's like disagrees with you. That's okay. But try not to harass anyone. And in my case, when someone tried to harass me, uh, I respond adequately. I, I do not go soft on them, but so if you want to avoid this, please try to be kind.